Welcome to the I'm Not a Barista podcast. We're here to talk about all things coffee, from industry careers, brewing tips, community support, and more, with some really incredible people who love coffee as much as you do. We hope their stories inspire you, because humanity runs on coffee, and together we can empower all the people behind every cup. All right. So, so James, welcome to our podcast, I'm Not a Barista podcast, and then... You're a podcaster, right? <laughs> Full time, <laughs> full time podcaster. Perfect. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is this is great. Great to meet you. Great to connect with you. So, tell us more about yourself and how did you start your podcasting career? Oh my goodness. Well, um, I don't know. So, I create a podcast called Filter Stories, which are like、uh, coffee documentaries about the world of coffee.、Um, and、um, you know, I've done a lot of stories around you know where coffee is grown, the challenges、uh, that coffee farmers face.、Um, I've done a lot of stories around baristas、uh, or people in coffee who have really kind of crazy or inspiring stories, like my friend Raymond, who grew up Amish, and is now a coffee professional. He, had, he kind of fled when he was、uh, a teenager. Or、um, and more recently, I've been doing stuff around the history of coffee and the science of coffee.、Um, but yeah, it all kind of. Be- but the thing is, yeah, I began、uh, many years ago. I'm quite old now.、Um, by coffee standards, I'm really old. <laughs> I'm like pushing pushing my mid to late thirties at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm Italian Australian,、um, and、um, grew up in yeah Sydney, Hong Kong, Rome.、Um, my dad was、uh, he worked in finance, and、um, yeah, began my career in finance actually、uh, back at the Bank of England in、um, at the height of the recession, the economic downturn of 2009. For, if、uh, I guess if, if, if you're alive for that, and、um, yeah, and then、um, that's but the thing is, was, I never you know I love coffee, but I'd never thought I'd ever work in coffee. Um, but after discovering, like what life is like in finance, and、um, seeing how bureaucratic things are, how stressful, how political,、um, but also how every everyone around me, you know, they were basically、uh, dead behind the eyes, you know, like it's like what what are you living for?、Um, what what are you passionate about?、Um, and it was everything but work. Or if it was work, it was like because they were hungry for you know power or more money or whatever it happened to be. So none of this really appealed to me.、Um, But I didn't really know what I else wanted to do. So when I was in my mid twenties, I just quit, and、um, yeah, tried to find a new path. That's how I started. That's the beginning.、Uh, yeah,、um, and、uh, basically,、um, I went to. I, I traveled around the world a lot.、Um, the most pivotal moment was actually in India.、Uh, I ended up. Uh, actually, funny enough,、uh, I was actually going to go to China.、Uh, that was part of the original plan、um, back in 2013. But my brother was in India at the time, and I just left my career in finance. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do.、Um, my brother was in the Himalayan mountains, and I was like, "Hey, let, let me just go join him for a while." And so we walked up and down the Himalayan mountains, and eventually I got a motorcycle,、uh, went up and down India. I spent six months in the country in India,、um, and then.、Um, Uh, the, but you know, there comes a point. I don't know if you've done it yourself, Mickey, where you've kind of left the job, not quite knowing where you're going to go next. Yeah, sometimes, but not、yeah. as crazy enough to stay in a new country for another six months. <laughs> <laughs> not, <laughs> but you know that feeling of like, you know, that time is passing by. You don't. You, the money's slowly running out. You don't know what you want to do.、Um, you know that feeling. Yeah, yeah.、Um, so that's kind of where I was in India, and then.、Um, Uh, I had decided because I needed. I, I'm, I'm someone who loves challenges, just because you know it's what motivates me.、Um, 
like, hey, you know, be a good idea. What if I got a push bike, like a regular old bicycle, and I cycled the highest mountains in the world, you know? So that's kind of what I did for about three weeks. So I was cycling up and down <laughs> the Ladakh mountain range, um, you know, 5,000 meters high. Like you kind of, you're going up and up and up. You And there's just not enough oxygen, right? So there's only so fast you can go. Um, sleeping in like dabas, you know, like uh, basically huts along the way every 50 kilometers sort of situation. So it's just you and oil trucks. That's all there is on the road, these dirt roads. Um, and it was actually there that um, I had a lot of time for myself, a lot of reflection. I was... Uh, I was reading some books at the time um, about, you know, the world, about uh, life, about the afterlife or the lack of it. And um, yeah, I decided at this point, you know what I really want to do? I want to get in a coffee. <laughs> so that was the moment of clarity. Um, I, I loved coffee bars before. I loved the London coffee scene. I've always, I'm, as a half Italian, I've been drinking coffee since I was a teenager. But um, uh, what had stopped me before was this kind of fear of judgment, you know, fear of like other people um, saying, uh, you know, what kind of a career is coffee? How do you make money in coffee? What, you want to open a coffee shop? Like for a lot of people, that that's their conception of coffee. And for me, frankly, that's all I understood of coffee too. But I was like, hey, if I love coffee that much, surely I can find something to do in this industry that, you know, brings so much joy to my life. And um, yeah, so from there, I decided to get into um, coffee and I went to Melbourne because I have the, the, the privilege of an Australian passport. I grew up there in Australia. Went to Melbourne uh, and tried to get a job as a barista back in 2015. Nobody hired me. <laughs> Nobody no way. Me. That's a nice <laughs> <Yeah>. start. <laughs> it was quite hard, actually, for four, for four months. I'm like kind of running around being like, please, just give me a job, anybody. But, um, you know, to get onto a bar in Australia, it's, baristas are really, really good. It's a high kind of entry level. And, exactly. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I just I just didn't do the hard work, or I tried to do the hard work, but um, no one was willing to teach me that. Um, I had to Damn, that's so back. sad. That's a problem of coffee <laughs> community. Sometimes we don't talk about, we don't talk enough, right? We should make yeah. a blacklist of those coffee shops. <laughs> well, the trip people badly. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it wasn't. It wasn't that I was treated, I was treated badly. I think these were just like coffee shops are hard businesses, and they were like, well, listen, we there's so much supply of amazing baristas. You have to do the training yourself. And um, when I realized that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do the training. Um, and then, um, but anyway, whatever, whatever happened is I ended up getting a job actually in sales. Um, I'd never worked in sales before, but, you know, I got a job in sales working for a big uh, uh, coffee gro- roastery based in Melbourne called Grinders. Um, and yeah, so that was my start in coffee, selling roasted coffee to cafes. But uh, the problem there was that... Um, uh, number of things. I fell. I had fallen in love with a girl who was in Europe, so you know, uh, Australia is quite far away for that. Um, but also, um, this was this was kind of commercial coffee. And this was kind of commodity coffee, and I, I I love specialty coffee, you know. And so I want to be closer to that world. And then, so these basic things. Basically, I decided to to leave uh, about almost two years later, and came to Europe. Um, and that's where I got a job working at the barn as their uh, director of wholesale. So essentially, uh, again, selling coffee to cafes. And that was, uh, I learned a lot. Um, but after two years, again, it was like I learned all I could I could about specialty coffee from this company was uh, was able to offer me. And then I was like, right. So we're kind of like now 2017. I was like, well, you know what? One thing I do love is stories. I love storytelling. In particular, I love audio stories. So I was like, well, I know there are no good storytelling podcasts in coffee maybe I could be the one who starts it. So yeah, uh, basically I just quit everything. Um, uh, and then learned 
read a lot of books, spoke to a lot of people, um, bought some microphones, like a one-way ticket to Guatemala, um, and landed there in you know 2018, and started recording stories, which eventually became my Filter Stories podcast. And I had to learn Spanish in six weeks <laughs> because, you know, I couldn't afford a translator. Wow. Well, you can have two podcasts, right? And the other one is how to speak Spanish in six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it will help if you're half Italian, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> wow, what a story. So you're always chasing new challenges. Yeah, I love it. I love, yeah, I'm all about changing challenges. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a bit like yourself, perhaps. <laughs> you still found um, running your podcast still a challenge? challenge yeah. in your life that's a good question um yes because th the hardest thing about running a podcast is making a living from podcasting <laughs> um and that was my biggest challenge was uh, trying to marry my passion and my interests and you know what i what i think i i am very good at um with the hard facts that you know there's little money in podcasting <laughs> so especially in coffee podcasting so you know how do you how do you how does that work um so for a long time, the challenge was just trying to figure out, yeah, how to make a living out of this, um, which I did eventually figure out. And that then enabled me to then, okay, so now I've figured out how to make money in podcasting um, and just you know, basically pay a, you know, a small mortgage. Um, so now it's a case of how can I create, you know, the content itself has to be challenging. Um, and, and a recent example of that is um, the Science of Coffee series. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but I knew kind of in the world of coffee, amongst especially coffee professionals, there is a huge desire to understand science better, but science is really, really hard. And even I find science really hard. And I was like, well, hey, what if I made a podcast that made it simpler? That, and that was kind of what, and that was such a challenge. <laughs> and honestly, there were times I was bashing my head against the wall being like, water science, so unbelievably complicated. Um, but I, you know, I tried to do my best and, and that became the first series of science, the science of coffee and I, I really enjoyed that challenge um and so i'm actually intend to do it again you know um see can you do it can you t can you condense really complex science into fun digestible audio stories for people to, to learn from so that was a big motivation too great so how many how many episodes um have you produced so far across my entire podcasting quote-unquote career um on my that i guess my own episodes oh heaven knows over 50 50 that's I'd a say. lot that's a lot so are yeah. you doing everything yourself uh mostly yeah yeah i have assistants here and there uh, but mostly myself so it's a lot of tape cutting you know you record a lot of interviews you structure it you structure the interview tapes and then you're like well hmm, where's the story here and then you try and tell the story you edit it a hundred times and they're like ah fine i found it here it is it's done so how do you find the targets so who, your audience um so i have um a lot of friends, you know, I'm, very, I'm quite connected to the special to peeps across the specialty coffee world. You know, it's kind of like my community. So, I speak to them, and I say, "What do you need? <laughs> what what would what can I do? What can I offer with the skills that I have that will make your life easier?" Um, science was a big one. You know, uh, they people really enjoyed history. Um, They're like, but the history of coffee is quite challenging uh, to understand. It's very nuanced. So. I also made a history series to kind of help kind of break that problem down. Um, yeah, so it's just conversations with um, coffee peeps to understand, yeah, what are the challenges? How can, and how can what I do, which is creating narrative audio, how can I help you understand the world of science and coffee better? Wow. So what about 2023 plan? Do you have a big goal for this year? Uh, actually, well, the problem, I had a <laughs> big goal. Um, I've actually decided to just do one thing 
which is a big change for me because in my previous five years, five years, I've been doing like a hundred things and uh, uh, getting very close to burnout or actually having burnouts. Um, because, you know, when you're really passionate about something, you just want to do everything, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, I had to, I've had to teach myself just go steady. So um, really, I'm just making one series, that's like two series, but I could, but, so, but you know, definitely with like, it's not, I won't have to like, you know, burn the midnight oil, so to speak, to, to do it. It's just like, it's a good, solid full-time job, but like no more than that. Um, so I'm making the second series, uh, second series of two of my series, um, the, which is a history of coffee and also the science of coffee. Just creating that. Maybe a few collaborations, but beyond that, that's it. That's it. Or well, there are more secrets coming. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas. Lot, you know, I wish I had all the time in the world because I, there's so many things I want to create. But, yeah. you know, you have to be disciplined. I, I totally yeah. agree that you said if you feel passionate about coffee, then there are many things, many projects you want to run at the same time, but so it's hard things. to focus on one thing. Yeah, if it's so just many true. things. Feel yeah. the same, oh. feel the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what about yourself? What, I mean, what are your plans for next year? Uh, this year, uh, this year, right? Yeah, sorry, this year. I always thought it's 2022. <laughs> I know, right? So yeah. Already halfway through January. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I think I'm all in, like, like the last three years. Um, mm. I'm not first that we're running podcasts, but I'm not really spending a lot of time. Yes, I mm -hmm. should, but we have just way many projects. <laughs> Can I stop mm -hmm. doing that? We have the grinder. We have the respan. We have mm -hmm. the book. Um, mm -hmm. Beyond that, we yeah. still need to manage all the social media platforms. And recently, we uh, with the help of volunteers, we are in China, and wow. then we are growing very fast, actually. on, on yeah, yeah. the uh, the respan project, like oh, cool. I don't know if you know very this cool. thing. Yeah, we yeah, sold yeah. about sixty sets. That's almost two hundred respans within three weeks. So that was amazing. Yeah. And then we could make donations to uh, to a coffee organization in Mexico and somewhere in Indonesia. So I think it's just keep, you know, running all of this. <clears throat> yeah. You are a, a very busy man. Yes. Um, well, managing all these things. You better spend your time on whatable things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess like yeah. you, you have to chase something meaningful. Mm -hmm. uh, what? Is it? I'm, I'm going I'm to be an interviewer for a second. What is it that brings you meaning? About why why does coffee bring you meaning? Well, I think I want to bring the positive sides of the coffee people. I think a lot of mm. people, a lot of things in this world, mm. they are often misunderstood just because mm. the news, the media, all what we hear, all we see, but the reality mm. is different. And then I I learned the lesson that baristas. Were you a barista at all? I never get a barista job. I actually have been a barista, but <laughs> in Italy when I was eighteen. Okay, does that count? No, it doesn't count. So I, I was yeah. I was never a barista, but I I felt that um, when I enter, especially coffee shop, mm. I see those baristas with tattoos, mm. different hair colors, piercings. I I feel like scared to talk to them. Like I don't know what to talk mm. to them. They're too cool, right? But actually, once you talk to them, they're just regular people, your friend from neighborhood. They just look different, but have a yeah, building yeah. heart. And the coffee world is com complicated, I would say. But we want to bring the other side of the truth. Like people are nicer mm. than you you think they are. You shouldn't mm -hmm. yell at your barista just because you didn't, mm -hmm. couldn't get your coffee on time or something. Yeah. yeah. it's That's interesting. It's very true. I mean, the perception of baristas is, um, you know, there's that meme 
you know, there was a meme floating around of, I think it was a Texan barista who, um, uh, he had like a neckerchief and like tattoos on his arms. And he'd always be like the, he was a butt of many jokes um, in coffee. Uh, it, I mean, I'm from the regular public because it's like, look at this hipster, you know? Yeah. How, and, <laughs> but, you know, if you speak to the guy, like, you know, regular cool guy, just just loves coffee, expressing himself, you know, expressing himself through tattoos, you know, things that are meaningful to him. Um, but it's so funny how that is not the way that is perceived by a lot of the public. And there's a, there's a level, the level of um, apprehension, right? But breaking that down, yeah. Yeah, um, that is true. That is true. Probably the reason why you didn't get the job because you didn't have enough tattoos or no tattoo on your tattoos. face. <laughs> oh, my God. I still haven't got any tattoos. But, but the problem is there. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to get <clears throat> because it's like, I, I, you know, I, I could get one image. But, you know, the next year I'm like, do I still like this image? Oh, damn. Now it's on my body forever. You know, I changed my mind too much. But, yeah, I, I, I also think that... Um, I think baristas have some of the, you know, if you look at the coffee supply chain, right, you have the farmers on one end um, and it's difficult being a coffee farmer. It's difficult making a living. It's difficult. Oh my goodness. I've explored these in depth, having been to um, Central America a bunch of times to do in-depth documentaries on the topic. But also the life of baristas, also extremely difficult. Um, and um, so I see these as the two, I'd say, hard, hardest working, lowest paid aspects of the of the supply chain and yet the so critical so critical it is to the, our coffee experience without beans and, and someone who knows how to craft the beans is a, to an amazing drink mm-hmm. like you ain't got coffee yeah do you know 50 50 uh, um Arabica. the owner of the instagram um is alan alan yeah yeah i've, I've met i've spoken to alan before i like him yeah yeah uh, he's a funny guy like he's a uh, posts and stuff you know he, he posts a lot of mm-hmm. about coffee and recently it's out one of the posts like is completely bs when you hear people ask you to pay more for your coffee i don't know the topic <laughs> i talked to some guys who right. have been to the you know farming countries they know the industry real mm-hmm. well and uh, it's just like a sad truth that is 99 yeah. percent of the time is bs what do you think help you've been to the farming countries you know the the baristas the farmers mm. so let's say you're in berlin at this moment mm. someone else pay more coffee do those money at all like 0.1 percent mm. go back to the farmer what do you think <laughs> it varies it does vary if you're there um, to speak the truth please <laughs> i want to hear <laughs> yeah i mean no, of course i mean that's I, I create documentaries on this on this topic um but the, the, the it is both true sometimes and it's also not true other times it really depends on the operator yeah um and the 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 challenge is it's a black box right you don't know because it's like company accounts right it's like you pay more for your coffee and then it's in the black box of the accounting system right in the cafe and the black box of the accounting system of the roaster and the importer exporter and then the farmer so you know where's the traceability so there are um if there is transparency right in price transparency you can tell what percentage of your money does go back to um the farmer and indeed there there was an initiative uh which i i've, I've always really appreciated um uh run um over at the universe uh emory university uh, which was the uh, coffee transaction guide where um it's and its precursor what came before it was um forget its name but essentially what it did was it showed like what percentage of the money you spend on a bag of coffee what percentage goes back to the country in which it was grown and that gives you a and there's a huge range huge range some companies some coffee some roasters 
were giving back a very large percentage, others a lot less. So it varies. But the only way we can really know is if we have transparency of prices across the supply chain. And we trust the people who are putting these statistics together. Um, so it's one of those things. Yes, Alan is right. Yes, Alan is wrong. Uh, no, you know what I mean? It yeah. depends. I believe that if you are a roaster or a company marketing using pay your coffee so it can help farmers better, you should keep your yeah book open, transparent. Otherwise, just shut up and don't use that as a trick because it's just, I mean, yeah. the world is full of lies too much. And then I hope the coffee industry still could be like, can have more, um, the good things happen, you know, it's yeah. just too much. Yeah. And it's interesting too. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, and I haven't done a deep analysis of this, and I'd like to, um, the people who really proposed that in the earlier days, especially coffee, you know, who are like, hey, we're paying more. I mean, uh, Coffee Collective is an example of that. They were quite innovative in how they were trying to um, show consumers mm -hmm. what prices they were paying, uh, how their prices, the prices they paid, you know, did translate to farmer prices. Um, really commendable. Really great <clears throat> um, as a form of transparency. Perhaps you have newer operators who uh, just think, well, yeah, it's a hard business running a coffee shop. It's a hard business being a roaster. Um, I can see the temptation for, you know, for marketing to get to get money out of people, right? So hmm, it as, as specialty coffee has grown, you know, you have... Uh, operators coming through who kind of use this might might say these kind of things and it's a little bit it's, it's it, perhaps they're not being careful enough in how they use their language or they're not expressing it enough but initially i like to think that i think that in the earlier days of coffee when someone said that they they could back it up or they could back it up but nowadays with a more competitive market who knows it's harder to know whether that's the case exactly everybody just raising the bore right pay more coffee mm. <laughs> pay more mm -hmm. for your mm -hmm. coffee Wow. Well, that's a, mm -hmm. uh, tell us more about the industry that you know, we don't know. Something as a podcaster, oh, you man. know, a lot of uh, guests and they provide you some secret information we don't hear often. Well, um, one of the more, ex let's say, um, delicate, uh, uncomfortable truths um, that I discovered uh, when I went to uh, Central America. Um, a number of times to you know report on coffee farmers um, <clears throat> the farmers who have gotten especially coffee and have built the biggest brands right farming brands right you know like the, the thinkers we've heard of um, that produce really high quality coffees they have tended to come from people who um, were already relatively wealthy and are also uh, the beneficiaries of um, Let's say they, they were very... So, for example, you'd have situations where, you know, you go into a New York cafe and, or a roastery and they're like, hey, we know the farmer and we're paying the farmer a good price, right? And so the consumer thinks, huh, great. I have imag I'm imagining like uh, the, you know, the Colombian um, uh, Juan, um, Juan Valdez, the kind of like the, the, guy, the guy who has his one, you know, one acre farm and his sombrero and like the, the donkey sort of caricature. Um, you know, not a rich person, not a wealthy person. But the reality is, that's what the consumer thinks. But the reality is, <laughs> the the farmer is like, you know, um, has inherited a vast amount of inter intergenerational wealth 
And in one case, a story I did, you know, owned every Taco Bell from uh, San Salvador, El Salvador, all the way down to Panama. Wow. You know, this is not somebody who needs, who, who needs a pity story. No. Yeah. And I covered that in my series, um, uh, is, is Your Coffee Building Trump's Wall. Uh, no prices for guessing when I produced that. Um, it, it's an exploration of like the socioeconomic so, uh, factors that led, that led to, the, you know, who in society makes money, who doesn't. And I use the, um, the example of El Salvador, right, as a country where um, very violent past, huge inequalities, um, and um, the, the welfare class kind of finding ways to keep making money, even in coffee, as the tides have turned, as wars have come and gone, uh, with specialty and beyond. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, we are lucky to, to meet some coffee people from the farming countries and even individual mm-hmm cherry pickers and uh, since we made a lot of donations um we know that you know we don't have a lot of profit but we'll give everything 100 percent we have and then we donate three thousand almost four thousand us dollars not a lot for if mm-hmm. you're big corporations but you know it's hard to run a organization like us uh, with the volunteers and interns but anyway sure, sure. We, we managed to know some people cherry pickers from indonesia and they they earn 13 cents per hour they are poor people yeah. and their kids cannot get out of the village just because they don't have the money. But the farm they work for, they are all right. So it's uh-huh. not the farm we should help, it's the people who work on the yeah. farm, right? Sometimes, yeah, that too. I mean, for sure, the pickers, yeah, I probably have the hardest deal in all of coffee. They're also the most marginalized, um, have the least economic opportunities, um, oftentimes the least education. It's you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a hard job. Picking coffee is a bloody hard job. And you're getting paid literally cents per hour. It's unbelievable. But that's, yeah. So in some cases, true. It, the larger farms, it depends really, but farms that go big and they go small, right? So yeah. the larger estates, I'm, I'm sure they're doing fine as a business, but the pickers they employ um, won't be earning uh, very much at all. Um, but a lot of farmers are kind of family units, you know, like they, they own their one plot of land, the community picks or or you know, so it really varies as well. Yeah, that's true. Size, huge variation. What do you think is the biggest challenging topic we need to talk more about in a coffee industry? <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> Let me. Uh, oh goodness. Um, well, I mean, the thing that I'm really passionate about um, is, I mean, things that I'm passionate about are you know, environment, social. Uh, social progress, environmental concerns. Um, so, I mean, to, for equity, equity in the supply chain. I mean, any, any, if it relates to reducing environmental impact, reducing carbon emissions, if it, if it relates to um, a more equitable supply chain, right? So where, um, where pickers can earn, you know, a, a good enough living to get their kids into some kind of decent schooling. I'd be pretty, you know, I'd be happy with that as an outcome. How we get there um, is difficult because one, because, um, but, and, and people, we are talking about it, but to me, those are the two, those are the two biggest issues um, in coffee. Um, you know, the, the reasons that um, baristas have a particularly hard job, you know, they're doing hard hours, not earning very much at all um, relative to, uh, I don't know, let's say a banker or whoever it might be. Um, is is part it's not because that 
it's not because it's like there's like one fat cat kind of earning all the money. Like no one in coffee earns that much. It's not like one person with a massive monopoly. Um, I mean, you have the large companies, you have the Nestle's, for example, and the big brands, like big roasting brands, they earn good money, um, very good money. But outside of those, um, you know, especially in the specialty industry, there's not one person earning a lot of money, like a crazy amount of money, um, with one or two exceptions, perhaps. But like, it's, so really it's a question of, there's just not enough money in the system, right? You know, farm, if you speak to any farmers, like, well, pay your pickers more. They're like, well, we wouldn't have a business. The business wouldn't work if we did. Um, and that's a really hard grinding reality. And really, because it's just not enough money, we're all fighting for quite a small pie. Um, and you wonder, how do you make the pie bigger, right? So efforts to get the consumer to pay more are really, really important. I think efforts to not, you know, between cafes and roasts to not to not pl uh, uh, play on price, right? Compete on anything but price, right? Because once you start competing on price, that makes it harder for the entire community, uh, the higher uh, industry uh, to get to, to grow the pie. You're actually shrinking the pie in that. Okay, there's less money in the system now, so we can't give money. You know, we can't afford to pay people more. You know, more sustainable wages. Yeah. So, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know what will be the automated method to to solve this problem. Uh, we need a lot of people yeah, to work on this topic altogether. There are many people working on it as we speak. There's a lot. A lot of things are being done. I mean, we have um, living income assessments um, where we kind of understand. Okay, well, what is the cost of living in? Um, let's say a coffee growing region and how much do we have to pay to ensure that they can send the, you know these farmers these pickers can send the kids to a decent school right what is that level it's not as much as you think um but we don't know until we until we have more information we don't really know so uh, there's a lot of a lot of work being done at the moment and i think more work should be done in this uh, area um just to get the basic facts get the basic just information from it's like once we know what people what a farmer needs to earn Great. Let's get that. Let's work that way. It, that price through the supply chain. Do you think how many? What is the percentage of people will really care about this? Are they just care? Oh, I got good coffee. That's it. Um, I feel this way. I ask because sometimes myself, I couldn't feel I care mm -hmm. about this topic every single day. Like you know, you have your own life. Those farmers, yeah. pickers, they are far away from you. And then you just, you cannot care all the time. The world is crazy. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I don't think it's fair. I don't think you should, ex I certainly don't expect myself to care every single time I drink, I drink a coffee. Um, but I think caring at least once a week is better than not caring at all. <laughs> caring once so, a week. You know what I mean? Or, you know. That should be a campaign name. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, like we, we, there, are, it's, we have, we lead busy lives. There are a lot of stresses and pressures and money pressures on us. And, you know, uh, our attention can only be given to one thing, to any one thing for a certain amount of time. Um, so I think it's unrealistic to expect this to be, uh, you know, top of mind all the time for every, everybody, but an awareness of it is important. Um, and taking concrete steps, I think to, you know, uh, change your spending patterns if you can and you can afford it that's very, that's, that's good um, for example 
you know, the classic one is if you go to a supermarket and you have two coffees, identical coffee, identical coffees in front of you, one says fair trade and one that says nothing, go for the fair trade and it might cost you 20 cents more. That, you know, that, that's already a step in a better direction. So it's about getting, you know, one step better and as opposed to um, get throwing your hands up in the air and saying, I don't know, who knows, I can't fix it myself. But I think one step better, that's what you can control in your life and that's worth doing. All right. At least we should care once once a week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's the one time you go to a supermarket to buy your, your coffee or whoever, wherever you buy your coffee, you know. Um, uh, if, if you think about it at that point of purchase, what is, what is you know, here are my options. What is the most, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote, sustainable, quote unquote, ethical I could buy here? Yeah. And make that decision if you can afford it. True. And do the best you can with what you have, with, what, with the power that you have at that moment. Oh, great. So your name, um, the, the name of your podcast is uh, Future Stories, right? Uh, filter Stories. Future yeah. Stories. So Future yeah. Coffee. But correct me, why do I feel some people like to future people in a coffee community? <laughs> a lot of time I feel people want to sell, you drink commercial coffee. I drink specialty coffee, so I, I probably better than you. <laughs> And oh, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> there, there. I think there's still a lot of people mm-hmm. are like that. And then I see organizations. They, let's say, uh, personally, I don't like SCA would have done because mm-hmm. they 100% future people based on their nationalities, mm-hmm. sanction and suspend competitors. Like they bring politics into coffee world, but mm-hmm. we don't hear much about it, right? I think we are the mm-hmm. only organization really bring the topic up once. They start sanctioning and Russian coffee competitors, mm-hmm. but then like, okay, cool. So if you mm-hmm. suspend Russian competitors, probably mm-hmm. rethink about what have you done before. Maybe next year you should uh, ban mm-hmm. baristas from NATO countries, or just don't ban anyone. You know, just don't bring politics into the game of coffee that we feel so much love and uh, we will work so hard to keep the coffee community running. What do you think? You know, what, why nobody's talk about this topic? When an organization, they have their own value on their website, everything supposed to be transparent, NGO, MPO, whatever, but they make a big lot of money and they charge so much for the advanced courses for a group of people mm-hmm. we call barista mm-hmm. who don't have high salary. What's mm-hmm. the point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk politics, geez. Uh, okay, so oh, the Russia, you know, so I, I actually wasn't, I wasn't aware that the SCA had um, uh, not basically. Are you saying they had banned Russian competitors from participating in the uh, World Barista Championships? Yeah, I think since twenty twenty two, right after yeah. that, because all the organization yeah. have to make a statement at the time. I yeah. think yeah. so. It's a smart. Otherwise, your shareholders or your sponsors say. You got to do something about it. Otherwise, there's no money for you next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, the bravest people in the world when it comes to this Ukraine crisis, which I'm extremely close to because my my old partner, uh, she's Ukrainian, Mm -hmm. Russian, and friends um, uh, have experienced this this war very, very close to them. And um, uh, to me, the the, the bravest people, I think the biggest heroes in in this whole situation are the Russians in Russia protesting the war. They are the biggest heroes 
because they are that it's just extremely difficult thing to do and they are uh, you know trying to stop it from within um it, but so the, so to me the question is um uh you know a barista in russia you know what what is their political allegiance um it's because the thing to understand is that the sca is an amalgamation of the specialty coffee association of europe and the usa america so an attack by russia on ukraine is feels like an attack uh on close to um basically the, the the heart of the SCAs. And you can't get away from that fact that this this is this is culturally, this is where its roots are and its value system is. This is where it came from. Um so if that barista were to make a, I, I don't know I don't know how this could play out. Um but uh there is that fact. So a, a barista would have to make it clear like yeah, uh, you know are they are they pro pro war or anti war? Um, Don't you think that make you have to pick a side? How how about the barista say, "Hey, I don't want to be part of this at all. I don't want to pick a side. I don't know anything uh, about politics. I just want to be a great barista. I have been training for this to compete for years, and not just Russians. Let's talk about other coffee competitors who don't speak English, right? Mm -hmm. They have to learn mm -hmm. English to compete for mm -hmm. their dream. I'm just like, mm -hmm. no." You're not coming here to compete anymore. I mean, ideally, that's so sad. I mean, I've done, yeah, but you know, I've um, I've done stories right about um, the first ever competitor from a coffee producing country. I've done stories about Martin Shabaya, right, and how hard it was for him as a Kenyan competitor, um, with quite limited access to you know the, the the kind of networks you need to compete at a very high level internationally. Um, And you know his his journey in Dublin and Seattle uh, and 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 Korea um, when he went to compete there at the World Barista Championships. You know, it's the odds are stacked against him. I made it really clear. And yeah. um, at the same time, I've also you know done. I also created a podcast series with uh, in collaboration with the SCA um, for the for the SCA about the World Barista Championships and all the coffee championships. And I understand also the practical challenges that they face um, uh, trying to put these on. Uh, these competitions on, uh, which are the very complex um, and quite expensive uh, things, which, which involve a lot of coordination. Um, so, you know, that, that I definitely see it needing to shift to make it to to accommodate baristas like Martin Shabaya um, and and baristas who don't speak English as the first language, um, or baristas who might be lactose intolerant or ethically do not want to use cow's milk, or etc. 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 I totally see the need to shift, and it is shifting. The SCA, to its credit, does listen, um, but it's also it's a very it's a very large beast that just takes time to move, but it does move. Yeah, definitely. I think <laughs> we can stop right here about this one. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. tell me one thing you feel the most misunderstood topic in the coffee science. <laughs> oh man, misunderstood. Yeah. Ooh. All the people, oh, gears are most important. You need to buy a better grinder, but maybe water is. But what is the w one thing that we talk oh. a lot and then uh, we are wrong? <laughs> one thing I have discovered um, making this series uh, is there are a lot of uh, the coffee influencer, right, who uh, will say, use this device, this brewer for X, Y, Z kind of scientific sounding reason. 
uh, or like I've done some experiments on the back bar and I have found this. Therefore, this is what I think is, uh, and this is why it happens. And therefore, um, you should also, you know, buy this piece of equipment. Um, and uh, having done the science series and understood actually what science really means, the, the, the philosophy of science and how little we actually know and how hard it is to know anything. Um, you know, I have become, I was already skeptical, but now I'm like really, really skeptical of uh, these sorts of claims. And you have to ask yourself, well, you know, who's, um, who is, you know, are they making money from this product? And if they are, you know, does that, would, would that change perhaps uh, what they're going to say? Um, or if they're going to talk about these results, like, you know, scientific methodology is, it's a science, it's a science in itself. Um, and one you can study to do, you know, to really do proper trials. And I always wonder, um, and I would really like to see more, let's say, rigorously done science um, in, you know, on, on the back bar before it becomes like, hey, here's this product that I just, I, that I created from this thing I did, you know, in an afternoon, um, doing some experiments on the back bar. Um, so I think a lot of um, our assumptions about, there are a lot of coffee myths that are floating around, a lot of coffee myths, which get, have, which have been dispelled are being dispelled by more, I say, rigorous uh, uh, research, rigorous experimentation. Um, and, you know, a, a really famous one is this, is this idea of sweetness, right? So for a long time, um, you know, Bruce's, well, the, the entire coffee community would tell the consumer, like, um, the reason especially coffee is sweet is because you pick the reddest, ripest cherry and the sweetness contained in that cherry. And that is true, but it's not the reason but it's not like the sucrose, the actual sugars from the cherry made their way into the coffee bean into your cup. Actually, no. There's no perceptible um, sweet, you know, there's, there's no, the, the levels of sugar in a black coffee are below the sensory detection threshold. You know, it's not sugar you're tasting that, make, that makes you think it's sweet, right? And it's these sorts of experiments that are really kind of blowing open so many of these myths that we've been telling ourselves for all these years. Yeah, and so we don't know exactly why, but in the second episode um, on, ex on, on, on coffee extraction, um, you know, Bill Rissenpart, uh, Professor Bill Rissenpart of the UC Davis Coffee Center was explaining to me how, you know, it could be um, association effects that are taking place. Um, so like, if you get a, if you smell a note of apple, therefore apples are sweet, therefore your brain just magically perceives this thing to be sweet. Um, or it could be masking effects. Uh, there, there, there are many, we don't know exactly know but I know there's, there's research being done, coordinated by the CA at the moment to figure this out. All right. Yeah. I have more questions for you, but this one should be easier for you. Uh, <laughs> what is the top coffee science that everybody in the coffee world should know, must know? I'm running through my, uh, I'm just running through the episodes in my head now uh, of, the, of the first series. Um, well, I think the most complex science is the science of the science of extraction. Um, because there are so many variables that affect extraction, you know, so many variables. In the episode, I explored a lot the effects of temperature of water, which, which um, it, water is, uh, is a part of the Arrhenius. Uh, so the, the, hotter, the hotter water gets, the faster it extracts, right? And that's part of the Arrhenius equation, um, uh, which is a very kind of from the, uh, from the established scientific principle, because the faster everything happens. Um, 
oftentimes when we think about, um, oh, if I use hotter water, you know, the coffee is more bitter. And so, you know, I, I, me, I, even I, before I went into this series, I, I, was like, I was thinking, oh yeah, because maybe it's extracting like the bitter compound that could only be extracted at the higher temperatures. But actually, no, it's more a case, it just gets stronger across the board because brewing... Uh, higher temperature it, it, it kind of equates to have like longer time in some you know these are similar parameters you could work with i mean this is so fundamental right to coffee brewing um which uh but when it, when i really dove, dived into the science to understand oh this is the foundation of why it works the way it does it actually made it easier for me for me to understand all right right there there are probably many many things we all should know but so many things yeah so many things I hope your your podcast one day could reach more uh, more countries and could be translated into more languages, so we can share nice. your knowledge with the world. Because I love that. Lately, we, we we are in China, and then we have volunteers who speaking Chinese, and then they know the coffee mm. industry very well. Mm. They say the only way for them to, uh, or one of the few ways for them to learn advanced coffee knowledge is through expensive courses brought by some organizations, okay. yeah. and the others. They they listen. They watch videos, translated video. But sometimes they are, you know, they are not really complete. They only share a little part of it, right. but without explaining the science be- behind it. Yeah, I mean that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Is um, putting my my science and history and sustainability series on YouTube with translations attached. That'll be awesome. Um, so people say, yeah, um, and then it's there. Uh, I know. I know people have really found the science series extremely uh, valuable in helping them on their coffee journeys and understanding the science. So, yeah, it. I speak English and Italian, and uh, I am making the, uh, the the first series of a history of coffee. I do have plans to make that in Italian. <laughs> so you're trying a little bit, um, but yeah, you know, I only speak three languages. So um, I don't speak Chinese <laughs> yet <laughs> and Korea, right? <laughs> they are made a language Korea, you have to uh, yeah to use. <laughs> It's great, yeah, exactly. Great. I think I, I really think if you could like share your um, podcast with mm. in in more language, at least like written language, you know, there are some auto transcription stuff, and I can translate yeah. for English directly to multiple language. I think since it's free education, and a lot of people are actually need it, but just don't know yeah. where to get them. I think we're missing this channel, and That's then mm. I, I I could feel the suffering for um, mm. of the smaller. Uh, business they have good product but it's hard mm. to let people know because there's the channel in the middle kind of block everyone but i think mm. you have a great content definitely deserve more people to uh, to learn yeah. to listen you know that's a great point i think this, this, this you know mickey this this could have been the conversation that finally just got me to do it <laughs> i've been thinking about it for a long time like ah oh, you know is there a need um why would i put it on youtube uh, it's a lot because you know it's a whole bunch of work to do it to do it well um, to that you know SEO so, so you know a barista in China could even find it in the first place, um, but knowing that there's there's, there's demand for it, um, yeah. Uh, is Great. there anything you want to talk about? We have spoken about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, I'm yeah. I'm just uh, um, very curious to know more about. Um, yeah, to, to see your journey continue and to see where, where you end up um, in the world of coffee and how things progress. Uh, yeah, I've been watching with a lot of, uh, um, yeah, a lot of interest to see how you grow, uh, how you grow I'm Not a Barista, which is, I think, a really, a really cool initiative. <laughs> We're lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
we do our best. I think eventually we connect with the right people and they are willing mm-hmm. to help you. And mm-hmm. that's why I think coffee is community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this I'm Not a Barista episode. Subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at I Am Not a Barista for more empowering vibes and true coffee stories that connect you with coffee lovers around the world. You're a part of our global community where we celebrate baristas and their craft in everything that we do. Mm-hmm.